0: Welcome to the Social Entrepreneurship Diaries. This podcast is produced by SE Lab, the MS International Research Network, and Impact Hub Amsterdam. I am Andrea Barbosa, your host. Since I started researching social entrepreneurship, I came across the word community countless times. Community empowerment and community building come up in project descriptions as standard goals. The value of community seems to be self-evident. But for me, the concept remained vague and dubious. What exactly is a community, and what makes it so desirable? I couldn't help but feel that the word was being used for its marketing qualities, like the word natural, which is sure to be found on every product label. So I decided to look deeper into the community issue. I found an article by American sociologist Stephen Brint that really helped me to articulate my mixed feelings about the concept. He points out that the term community suggests many appealing features of human social relationships, a sense of familiarity and safety, mutual concern and support, even the possibility of being appreciated for one's full personality and contribution to group life, rather than for rank and achievement. So community is a powerful symbol, but what about the reality of it? I lived in a village as a teenager and vividly remember how a neighbor dutifully reported to my mother about the boys she saw me holding hands with. Control and pressure to conform are very alive in local communities. The article recalls the many sociologists who have shown that behind the romantic idea of fraternalism and equality, stratification and privilege are the hidden truth. Communities often provide the breeding ground for racism and exclusion in general. Just this week, a wealthy village in Switzerland refused to receive its quota of 10 refugees, preferring to pay a 260,000 euro fine. But I don't want to attack the idea of community, I just wanted to deflate the word a bit so that we can look at it properly. In this episode, I will try to explore how social entrepreneurship and community work together in practice and what learnings are there to be harvested. Let me take you to the UK and introduce you to a community project in Froome, a market town of about 30,000 inhabitants near Bristol. adventure that's the name of the project, describes itself as a school for community enterprise run by and for the local community. It offers unemployed young adults a free two-month workshop in community entrepreneurship. This is the core activity, but Adventure does a bunch of other things, as all community enterprises usually do. We shall talk about this later. The funny detail about Adventure is that it was founded not by a local Frumer, but by a German guy named Johannes Müller. He was an ordinary globetrotter until he decided he needed a home.
1: I had been working as a facilitator and moderator of different courses uh, in the UK and abroad, and found myself, in a way, travelling from one place to the next, and really realising that I wasn't in touch with my community, because I was not really, I didn't have a place to, you know, a proper base, I was just travelling from one to the next, and then really wanting to focus on a, you know, having a home myself. Um, I wanted to have a place where I could have a beautiful garden, where I can grow my food and um, where I know the local butcher. And um, so there was, I think, a a yearning in me to have a bit of a smaller life and still do the things that I'm I'm doing and that, that were really important for me. And so when the whole idea of adventure came up as a starting point, we had actually, how do we as this generation build livelihoods that are aligned with what's important to us, but also make a real difference in our world about the things that we care about. When we started looking at what, what would enable that, one core idea was to um, embed ourselves in communities, because in essence, communities are at the very heart what makes enterprises and livelihoods happen and work.
0: Around 2012, Johannes had already been living in the UK for a few years. He and his partner started looking for a place where they could start living a more local life while at the same time practicing their vision of community. This vision is much inspired by the Brazilian ELOS philosophy of community empowerment and by the idea of experiential learning or learning by doing. In Froome, they found a strong local identity, enough social challenges to be tackled, and a fair amount of derelict buildings that might provide project and income opportunities. So, Johannes and his partners offered the town a value exchange.
1: We were saying, look, there are lots of young adults here in Froome and beyond who've got a lot of energy and passion and are eager to learn and develop livelihoods. And That is a resource. That's a resource for the community. And we want to create an exchange that we are going to bring and enable people to come here and to develop their ideas here rather than leaving the town to go to cities or other places. And in exchange, you can, as a community, you can come together and support that next generation, whether that is just becoming a coach or a mentor or to provide opportunities or accommodation So really, um, we we talked a lot about community-supported education at that time, where a community comes together to hold a group of people going through an experience. What has inspired us was um, also a read of passage uh, practice from South America, where um, they would frame it as the, the village was kept alive by the people in that village coming together to put on this experience for a group of young people. To go through this reed of passage, and in that context, become an adult, a a true adult, a contributing member of their society in a way. So we use that picture a lot to describe, like you as a community in Froom can come together to provide opportunities to learn and grow for this next generation. And I think that really captured people's imagination. There's so many people who want to support the next generation of entrepreneurs, of people, of young people in their community.
0: Here's how ADVENTURE works. With the help of partners such as the town council and local charities, they identify a need in the community. All stakeholders come together and discuss this need in a meeting. Possible solutions emerge. ADVENTURE takes one of these solutions and turns it into a challenge for its students.
1: Last autumn, we had a community stakeholder around housing and the whole issue around, you know, the kind of prospect that the majority of the generation of our generation will not be able to afford buying property, um, accommodation, and rental accommodation is also so expensive that it takes a lot of freedom away for young people to develop their ideas and start up initiatives because the cost of living is so high. So the pressure to work is so high that people can't invest much of their time to develop something. So that was the starting point of the conversation in the community of like, what can we do locally to um, provide affordable accommodation for young adults so that they can um, work on their ideas and make their initiatives happen? And we came up with a couple of solutions. And one of those solutions, as adventure, we transformed into a challenge for a course The project that we took on was to uh, build a uh, semi-independent tiny home that is attached to uh, an existing house and it it basically enables shared living. The challenge that we then came up with is to design a semi-independent living space that we would make and produce and then sell to um, homeowners to provide affordable accommodation. Um, and then the, home, the cost of the home would be paid back by, by rent that young people would pay. But it's a very affordable rate, basically. So what happened then was that we designed this concept to an extent um, So we worked with local architects and some other local organizations. And then we got a, a team of students in, so 10 of them. And for 10 weeks, their challenge was to build a prototype micro home and set up a business that would promote and sell this idea of semi-independent micro homes. And uh, so they just finished, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that intensive part. And for the students, the experience of doing this is to really take an enterprise from fairly in the beginning towards realization and to get a real experience of what it is to start something up, you know, with the ups and downs and through that learn skills and gain tools, startup tools, that is useful for them to make their own initiatives happen afterwards. The
0: Micro Home Project has become a startup run by adventure students. Community initiatives in different domains are up and running in Froome thanks to adventures workshops, such as a library of things in downtown Froome, where one can borrow objects instead of books, and the very first community fridge in the UK. Adventure's revenue comes mainly from grants, but self-generated income is growing. I recognize in Adventure a trait of community enterprise that I read about in a paper by scholars from the Judge Institute of Management in Cambridge. Community enterprises are often multifunctional organizations responsible for a variety of local initiatives. It is the group of people with its different needs and challenges which is at the core of the project and not one given economic activity. Through this paper, I also learned that the community enterprise scene is quite developed in the UK thanks to new labor policies from the late 90s. Community enterprise is anchored in the idea that communities are best placed to organize and manage their renewal, and this really fits the spirit of public-private partnerships that emerged at the time. One great example of self-organized community renewal in the UK is Sherwood Energy Village, in which a distressed ex-mining town transformed its abandoned coal mine into a sustainable office complex topped with wind turbines. References for this project and the article can of course be found on our website sediaries.org. Froom is a geographical community, a community of place. The other big category of community is the community of choice. Digital technology has profoundly affected both by offering communities of choice unprecedented ways of organizing and by erasing our dependence on geographical communities. Your sense of community is something you visit at 11.30pm on a website. This is a quote by Douglas Copeland, and in it I recognize how hopelessly connected we are and how we yearn for true connection. I will get back to this at the end of the episode. Now let me introduce you to someone who has been reflecting a lot on the relation between community and physical space. Her name is Stephanie Akawi Hughes and she is an architect. Her company, ACA, designed the place where Impact Hub Amsterdam is now located, and that's how I've met her. Impact Hub is of course an international virtual community of social entrepreneurs, but it is also composed of many physical locations where people can work and interact. Stephanie views architecture as a service aimed at fostering interaction within communities.
2: If you look at the architectural process used um, normally and widely today, Um, there is no way that's going to help us realize a space that is more than just mass, you know, a space that is not just walls, floors and ceilings or aesthetics, but a space that actually has an energy that is able to foster interactions between people. So we looked at that and the idea was then to say, well, if that's not going to help us, we need to get another process going. Mm -hmm. So we had to create our custom process and the process is then really... It's an intrinsically collaborative process. Without people's contribution, it doesn't really work. Um, and then by people here, I mean the community. So what we what we do is we talk about the community of every project. Now that's not in the social sense um, strictly. That's really looking at the different people concerned by a specific project, and then we you have to imagine that as concentric circles. So if you know, like if you throw a pebble in the water, you'll have all the ripples, and at the center circle you'll have then the people that are most affected by the project, so the users, the people that are actually in it. Then you have the client or the the, the founder or the decision maker, who's usually also some somewhat different than the than the users. Then you have you know the visitors of such a space you have the people across the street looking at that space you have the people in the neighborhood etc 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 and this is our base for every project this is the this is what we call the community of the project and those people are then involved in the entire process so it's really you know it's really based on the notion that the professional experts are not the only experts so architects engineers Um, developers etc etc and the users are the experts in how they use a space and we do need to bring in that expertise into into the process of creating any any space any context and this is where they have a they have a driver's role in a sense as a community
0: when one talks about community empowerment it's usually in relation to abusive central governments or corporate interests This talk with Stephanie made me realize that empowerment, that is, actively making choices, living intentionally, could be applied to all dimensions of community life. If you ask a lot
2: of, I can say architects because I know a lot of them, um, they will tell you you should never ask people what they want because people don't know what they want. That's partly true. People sometimes don't know what they want. And I think that's going to change in the future. That's, you know, it's it's in a way uh, a lack of training that we've had as 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 humanity so far mm-hmm. to only you know be trained in specific things it's also i think in personally i believe the main fault of education the education system where we go into silos in a sense and we become much more specialized in much less things in a sense um people haven't people generally in the world haven't been asked um they've wanted in a space people are not trained to understand space uh, and they're not trained to understand their relationship to space so if you ask them what kind of space do you want they don't know and they they fall back into either i don't know and i don't care or um, you're wasting my time i have work to do or um you know i want the big desk Um, by the window, or the big corner office, or a tree in the middle of the space, or, you know, stuff that sounds very superficial that most architects will tell you, well, that's just worthless, and we can't work with that. I believe it's our responsibility as architects to translate what people say into what they mean, and to help them actually figure out what they need. It's about understanding how people function, their dynamics, their interactions, And then for us to translate that into the needs of the space, what the space needs to do.
0: What I also found very interesting in ACA's approach is that they let the users of the space move in before the work is finished for purposes of fine-tuning.
2: We invite people to actually move in and start using the space before it's finished. And that has two advantages. One is that that can happen sooner than if you have to finish everything before people move in. But the most important advantage is that when people move in, it's based on observing how they start using the space, how they start interacting with it, or with each other in it. That those last things that still have to come in, they come in with an extra consideration. They come in, refine, then we also refine what's already there. So that last phase, uh, which is completely kind of yeah new or added to the to the architectural process normally. For me, is almost the most important one. It's really where it all comes together, and very quickly things get filled in. So these booths came a couple of weeks after the rest of the space was already there. You know, we had things drawn on paper differently, and then when you actually see them in space and see people move around them, you have to maybe just turn a table. It it could be as simple as that. It doesn't have, it never has to do with rebuilding or redemolishing or anything like that. It's small things, uh, but they make all the difference. And they really bring that energy to the space.
0: Indeed, the Impact Hub in Amsterdam is a dream workplace with shared open spaces where you can sit at your computer, but also cook or talk, and booths for being alone or having cozy conversations like the one I had with Stephanie. Actually... I had two conversations in the same booth on the subject of community. The other person I spoke to was Amis Burjma, who works as project facilitator and life coach. In her work, she often uses a methodology known as the art of hosting. The term was coined in Canada in the early 2000s in order to bundle up under a single name a number of existing tools that were being used around the world to foster collaboration. Ami's experience with the art of hosting felt very relevant to my research on community. After all, community happens through interactions, and the quality of the interactions weighs on the quality of the community. How good would you say we are at having fruitful conversations?
3: I think that people have a tendency when they come together to talk about things that are quite easy to talk about. So whenever you're at a party, then people will ask you, what do you do? And like stay on a kind of a shallow level because they're afraid to really talk about the things that matter. And I think that's why you need to facilitate community because you want people to connect on a deeper level. To actually be able to become a community, you need to open up. And invite people to share something special and also to find out what the common denominator is, what is it that makes you a community, not just because we're all whatever photographers or journalists or whatever it is we do, we automatically should be a community. I think it's more about do you have a certain view on the world that we share and then we can be a community but then we need to know first what that view is and often we don't talk about that so having someone or or something like having something in place that actually is a reminder to talk about the the real stuff uh, i think is really crucial and so I create a setting, so in in a workshop that I would organize, where people feel safe to actually open up and show more of their vulnerability, because I think that that is the only way that we can develop ourselves individually or as a group.
0: Having fruitful conversations means not being afraid to expose oneself. This truly resonates with me. I can only connect to someone else when I see the crack in that person and when I show my own flaws. The value of the community concept for thinking and building a better world really swells up in my mind when I replace boring neighborhood meetings with stirring conversations like this. The art of hosting comprises different tools for making good conversation happen. I'll let Amis explain. So one of them is, for instance, the World Café, which
3: is a method that's been used all over the world already in many places, uh, which is... Actually, quite simple. So, you have a group of people, say 30 people, and then you put them on or you invite them to sit at, um, at, at tables of five people. And in three rounds, where they switch tables, they discuss a certain topic. So, in every round, there would be a different question that's going to be addressed. And what happens because of this way of, of, of talking with each other is that kind of a communal knowledge starts to emerge of course there will always be people that disagree or that you know have different opinions but you do see that kind of this uh trends come up of lines of thinking of people often when we have meetings there is no space for that so it's either one big discussion with everyone plenary and so everything that someone says becomes kind of heavy <laughs> And it quite easily becomes a debate or we have one-on-one conversations and we don't really extract the things that are really important from that one-on-one conversation so just a method like this where you find another way of having people talk with each other people feel more comfortable and actually are more willing to then collaborate
0: here's a concrete example of this
3: so i've done that in zambia There were farmers, there were people from the university working on agriculture, there were people from uh, the local government, there were uh, street vendors or market vendors, and we brought them all together and had this quality of conversation. So we invited them to talk about what makes them happy, for instance, And at first they were all very uncomfortable to talk about this and it's just really amazing to see what happens once people have opened that up because then they feel, oh, this is, I can actually feel safe in this room even though I am just a farmer, you know, um, compared to someone from the ministry that's here for instance. And this energy was so strong during that session, and so it was a it was a session of a couple of days. So we actually went and started thinking about okay, what are concrete ways that they could work together, and what are ideas that they have for um, activities they could do. So we started prototyping the activities there. This is um, eight months ago, and now they are actually still uh, implementing these activities. So that has really laid the foundation for them to work together.
0: talking about when they talk about community community is an informal group of people and it stands between the individual and the state as it stands between the individual and the market it is an economical and political counterpower drawing its strength from the combined potential of its individual members in an age of global monopolies and politicians who seem to serve them Community is an invitation to take control of our lives around a shared understanding of what a good life is. Like the grassroots movement in Italy, which imposed a referendum on water ownership and prevented it from being privatized. In today's world, community is not restrained by place and is no obligation anymore. This can engender detachment, like in Douglas Copeland's quote, but it also opens up the space in which community can be reinvented in a more deliberate and flexible way. The next episode of the Social Entrepreneurship Diaries will be out on June 29th and it will also be our last. Expect a grand finale focusing on the very important topic of governance. In the meantime, you can visit our website sediaries.org where you can find all the references concerning this episode and more. Many thanks to Johannes Möller, Stephanie Akawi-Hughes and Amis Bursma. A very special thanks goes to Bram Pauls from Impact Hub Amsterdam for his content suggestions. Credit for the music we use on our podcast goes to Poddington Bear, Alex Fitch and Adam Seltzer. Thank you for listening.